welcome to episode 688 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. Um, I, you know, my desk has like this sliding out thing for the keyboard, you know? Right. Um, and once you start the show and I write down my, I type in my time code where I make my cut, I try to slide that in as slowly as possible so it doesn't make any noise to uh, ruin anything. So that's that's yeah. how I'm doing over here. Very in the minute, in the moment, uh, what my life is. Good. I'm glad you could handle that without making a ton of noise. So nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Would you like to know what's on the show this week? Yes, I would love to know what's on the show this week. Um, in news, we have cr- a crossover of characters that I think we kind of like, Joe. I'm not sure on that. We'll get back to that. Um, a comic audio gimmick maybe having some issues. Um, sensitive stories removed from a collection. And finally, a streaming service that I thought peaked with the great director gets even more, Joe. Right. Even more uh, conventions. Um, the latest edition of my walk down Lois Lane by our good friend, Becky, what we read last week, which was both uh, Batman Santa Claus, silent night, number one, and the new uh, Thunderbolts, number one, what we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues where we reread Neil Gaiman Sandman in its entirety. And this week it's issue one and two of Sandman overture. And finally, the end of the show, spoiler-filled talk of the third of the three episodes of the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who called The Giggle, Joe. Can't wait to hit that one. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you're ready for it. I'm ready for everything here. And I, ooh, I just want to throw out here two things up front. Uh, one I didn't put in the notes, but one we discussed beforehand. Uh, I did go see uh, Godzilla minus one this weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. I uh, may, that'll come up at the end, maybe or ah, let's get it out of the way now. We already we already went in depth with it last week. I'll just say it's really good. Um, I was worried that you and Brett and DJ uh, set a high, high bar, set a very high bar, but it was a high bar, a high expectation that was met, if not beaten. Um, very good. Uh, my wife and I went to go see it, and she even cried at the end. I saw that. And do you see what I would mean? Like there was that one scene that doesn't ruin anything where they're chasing the mining boat. Yeah. And like you get the, like you get that shot where they're staring down Godzilla and as great as the effects are, he just has that goofy, like I'm a rubber suited monster look on his face the whole time. Yes. It was distracting, but loved it the whole way. It was a loving tribute as far as I was concerned. The, the thing that I liked about this Godzilla and a lot of what you said was, that he was kind of like big throughout the midsection and the hips Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that he was purposely made to look like a guy in a suit. Yes. Yes. Like whether Uh, that was intentional or not, it definitely gave me those vibes. I think they wanted to give that to the old, like the old timers as like a sense of, Oh, this is what he looks like. The only thing that ever threw me off was his feet were super gigantic like compared to his body, like even more than normal. And uh, I've been loving the memes and gifs online of like Godzilla, not so much with this one, but the upcoming Kong versus Godzilla, the new one where they're running and chasing each other. And they're like, Oh, that looks so silly. Godzilla doing silly stuff doesn't work. And then they show somebody would cut to the scene of Godzilla flying backwards, using his breath to fly in the rubber suit. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
people need to do their homework, man. Yeah. Godzilla could do anything he wants. Um, That's right. He's the king of monsters. That's right. And the other thing is a correction from last week when we were discussing uh, Titans Beast World number one. Mm -hmm. We were calling Beast Boy, a.k.a. Changeling, a.k.a. Beastie. Uh, We were saying that his shoot name was Garth, when it's actually Garfield or Gar. Um, Garth is Aqualad Tempest. Yeah, Garth is Aqualad slash Tempest, and I was putting the TH on the end of Gar, so... Right. So, again, we screwed up. We apologize. Uh, it'll, it was a stupid mistake. It'll never happen again from here Until on out. it happens again. No, from here on out, uh, he will only be called uh, Beast Boy Changeling or Beastie. Right. Right. Uh, so let's get into the news. Um, like to get this stuff out of the way. You know, got to get into the first quarter hour. <laughs> uh, so it was announced that there is going to be a new Hellblazer book that's coming up uh, entitled Dead in America. Hellblazer is the John Constantine book and appears as though this book is going to have appearances from not only Swamp Thing, but also Dream of the Endless. Right. Who's writing that book, Joe? Uh, Not Neil Gaiman. I'll just say Mm. that. Um, so again, tenuous as always, um, I, I, I assume that Neil has signed off on like those, the Sandman universe books, the Sandman family books. Right. And I know like James Tinney, the fourth is writing one. I know Cy Spurrier, who's going to be writing this. He writes another one of those Sandman books. On one hand, if this is DC's shadow way to get back to vertigo comics in name right you're all for it cool mm-hmm. but if it ain't neil gaiman writing the endless characters i ain't reading it you know what uh i feel the exact same way um unless it's a stealth thing but i don't think they wouldn't put neil's name on it because like they know that that's gonna sell you know so i, I don't know um will i check it out i'll at least peruse through it but uh, I don't know if I'm going to pick it up because I kind of jumped off Hellblazer, especially on the, like the last go around where they kind of brought him young back into the current universe and he's in DC proper. And I was like, yeah. nah, I don't want him teaming up with Superman, you know, uh, and not a knock on him. And again, I, I there's very few creators that we will actively say are bad. OK, mm-hmm. whatever our personal opinion of them is, you know, as a the Rob understander, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, Cy Spurrier just never clicked for me. Doesn't and, me either. And this goes, and like, it's not from a lack of trying. Um, when he took over the Dr. Afra book all the way back there, I think it was cause it spun out of Darth Vader that Jason Aaron was doing, I think. Mm-hmm. And then when Cy Spurrier took over the Dr. Afra book, and I'm like, this feels like a completely different book. Like, the tone just doesn't work for me. And it works for a lot of other people because he's still writing a lot of stuff. And DC trusts him enough to not only possibly stealth, you know, reboot Vertigo in name, but he's also the writer on that current Flash book that is, you know... Uh, people are comparing it to Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, but the Flash, mm-hmm. which 
you know, I mentioned before, a lot of people set a very lofty bar for Godzilla minus one. And it was Matt. And a lot of people set a very lofty bar for Cy Spurrier's Flash. Good luck to him. That's right. Flash is doing the limbo lately. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Are you, oh, you're, uh, well, you, you still get it for the collection. So yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Limbo under the bar. That was where I was going with that. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. So also over at DC after many delays, the $15 <laughs> justice league versus Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, issue one came out with the, uh, sound mechanism, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was, you know, it was like, I see it keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then I know our retailers like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Not that I was getting it. But when they got them in, they did the test video of them. And I'm like, okay, I can see how that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But apparently it's a very delicate mechanism to work. Right. You need light, I heard, Joe. <laughs> right. So apparently there were issues where <laughs> retailers were getting the book. They were doing the the gimmick for it one time, and then it wasn't working again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifteen dollars <laughs> one time roar. Yeah, so Lunar had to release a uh, press release to the distributors mm-hmm. stating that Justice League vs Godzilla vs King Kong roar variants are in caps light sensitive. The sensor chip that activates the roar sound effect. Uh, is light sensitive. If you try to activate the roar in low lighting, it may not work. If the sound effect chip doesn't work, try it in a well-lit area before reporting the cover as damaged. Are you saying a lot of comic shops aren't well-lit, Joe? (laughs) That's the dank, really, that brings these uh, comic shops together. And I don't know, do I want these comics to roar, or do I want to get rid of the dank? Mm. But the dank, Joe. The dank. Thank you. But uh, I'm yeah, just go saying, ahead. I was just saying. Um, uh, that's why I, they work in our comic shop because it's well lit. Oh yes. But uh, I will say, I'll go. I'll say this. I was definitely 100 percent wrong. I felt that they were going to not make it, uh, not come out because they were so expensive and people didn't order them. But what do I know? I'm you know I was wrong. They sold out. I think. They either came close to selling out or they're close to selling out at our shop. The other thing that I found out today is to show people what they are, they come in a polybagged thing, but the polybag is resealable. Oh. So it's got like the roar. Like I don't know what it says on it, but it's got a, a bag around it. And it's like like a comic book bag, but with its own tape. And it's like so the, somebody could take it out and go like, this is what it does. And then you could put it back in the bag. I actually kind of like that if you're going to bag it somehow. So, you know, I don't know how that'll be with CGC, as we said before, but uh, good on you. If you sell a lot of $15 uh, comics that I didn't think were going to sell, good for you. But that uh, press release from Lunar came out less than 24 hours after those books actually getting into the stores. Mm-hmm. They must so have they... a flood of emails. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So imagine... If you will, a time where there is no email and there is no communique with your distributor, mm-hmm. and you get these books and they're late to begin with, and they're triple the cost of the book. And again, you know, let's say 30 years ago, cheap plug previewing the past over on our Patreon, 
and you have to like write a letter to your distributor or call them on the phone like imagine how many phone calls they would have got as opposed to someone just mashing their hands like oh i got my godzilla book and it's broken um our retailer would have used to have called stewart back in the day Stuart was our shop's uh, DC retailer, and they would call. They would call. I don't know if our retailer would call him or he would call our retailer, but there was a lot of uh, interaction between your rep and the comic store years ago, before like email and stuff like that. So it was really cool. I remember the one, one thing I remember most about Stuart was Stuart was a big Airwave fan at DC Comics, so very intriguing character. I don't know why I know so much about Stuart, Joe. <laughs> Because you're a DC guy. Right. And I also used to hang out at the shop a lot. So <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure like directly you couldn't ask him anything, but I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that was floated through our retailer to Stuart. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> Many questions were forwarded. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you have a well-lit home and a comic book that yells at you. Right. 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 Uh so also, uh, Marvel announced uh, they, you know, acquired the Aliens and Predator licensees, and they're reprinting a lot of the Dark Horse stuff. And there is an upcoming Predator omnibus that they're taking some stories out, specifically a story called Predator Hell Comes a Walkin', mm-hmm. and a short story uh, from a Dark Horse Presents from 1986. Uh, who knew there was Predator stuff in 1986? Uh, so I think when the movie came out, right? It came out in 1986. Uh, but to be f- that's when the movie... But to be fair, Dark Horse Presents might have started in 86, and they might oh, not have... The do you know what I mean? Itself. They'll say the yeah, yeah. six book, uh, Dark Horse Presents. Yeah. But the, the story might have came out in 91. I don't know, you know? Yeah, let me look to see if I could find exactly where... Uh, that came out. No, okay, so it was not. So yeah, yeah. So eighty six there, um, nineteen ninety eight. So both stories are from nineteen ninety eight. Um, and the reason that these are being pulled from the omnibus is due to um civil war and Nazi over uh overtures that the stories uh, focus around. And I I went and I googled Dark Horse presents one thirty seven, the one in particular, right? And it's a predator just like holding a tattered like nazi flag oh i thought it was going to be the confederate flag that's the other story no right so that's the other story and i get it that you're getting this stuff out of the book but we might talk a little bit later in books that we read from this past week uh that has this sort of imagery in it as well so i don't know why you're taking it out of like a reprinted thing Mm -hmm. but it's okay in a newly released book and later on in the show, I may be talking about something that was taken out of classic episodes of a sci-fi show that may relate to the one we watched this week. Gotcha. All when right. We get, when we get there. but uh, And last but not least in the news section, Todd, the prophecy is becoming fulfilled. Mm-hmm. We said it here on this very show that when the streaming wars are done, a mm-hmm. la Demolition Man... Where every stri- every fast food restaurant in the future is named Taco Bell, mm-hmm. except for the countries where there are no Taco Bell, they change it to Pizza Hut. But for the sake of this Taco Bell, that when the streaming wars are done, every streaming service is going to be called Tubi. Right. 
on the back of Mark Pirro, but go ahead. Yes, and again, Mark Pirro, I hope he gets a cut of the money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Tubi just announced a huge slate of DC stuff that's coming to their streaming service either already or by January 1st. And this includes, I'm not going to name everything, but... Uh, the more recent uh, Robert Pat- Pattinson Batman movie that's good. Uh, the good Wonder Woman movie. The good Aquaman movie. Aquaman 2 hasn't come out yet. So I don't know if it's good or not. Um, the Batman or the Batwoman TV show. The Gotham TV show. Lois and Clark New Adventures of uh, Superman. Uh, the Birds of Prey movie, which is good. The bad Green Lantern movie. The bad Wonder Woman movie. Uh, the two Tim Burton uh, good Batman movies. And the... Uh, uh, not that, not as bad as everyone says. Joel Schumacher Batman movie, uh, Superman one and two. Call me when three and four are on there. Um, the Krypton TV show is gonna go on there. Todd, do you remember the Krypton TV show? But the one that had Lobo on it for a while. I know. Um, so it's a ton of stuff, and a bunch of like the animated, like direct to DVD stuff is getting put on there. Uh, but a bunch of Warner stuff is going on there, and like I'm not gonna read, you know, the press releases from Tubi's chief content officer, and you know, blah blah blah, and all this other nonsense. But the one thing that I will mention to you is there is no company better at the social media game and the online game than Tubi. Right. Because they got Tubi, they got Tubi TV, they got Tubi Movies, they got Tubi Originals, and again, obviously, Tubi is not a difficult URL to figure out, right? It's T-U-B-I.com. You get the app, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. But they also have all of these other redirects as well that get you to Tubi. Um, Like people that, like somebody will say something stupid And they'll go and squat on that URL in the hopes that something comes from it, right? Mm -hmm. But the most, the the one that I love the most is you can go, like, a redirect to Tubi.com is TubiJustKeepsGoing.com. Yeah. (laughs) No stopping, Tubi, no stopping us now. That's right. So I, listen, I, Tubi's a free service. There's ads, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. but it's something that I've never had an issue with. It's got like such a wide variety of stuff on there. And, you know, the person that goes and watches the Robert Pattinson Batman, you know, he falls down the rabbit hole and watches Krypton. And he falls down the rabbit hole and watches a Polish vampire in Burbank. Oh. That's the logical step. Like there's, there's, there's no more points of entry. Like, once you're there for Robert Pattinson, you're going to eventually get to Mark Vera. But Robert Pattinson would probably be the best person to play Dupa in the reboot. (laughs) (laughs) So they uh, are making it's, you know, it's on the festivals and stuff. It hasn't got an official release or anything else like that. And I don't know what the studio, but it's like a big name director. They're doing the Toxic Avenger uh, remake. Mm hmm. And uh, what's his face who plays uh, Lannister in uh, the bad guy from Game of Thrones? Uh, Peter Dinklage. Okay. Peter Dinklage is the Toxic Avenger in the movie, right? Really? Yes. Okay. So, again, Toxic Avenger, a cult film. It's getting, like, uh, a 2024 redo with, like, a legitimate actor in the lead role. What's stopping? Hollywood 
from making a, a doing a remake of a Polish vampire in Burbank, putting a legitimate actor in the lead role, and like gussied it up for 2024. Oh my god, I would go see that. I would I would compare it. Uh, that would be a high bar to to leap, though, Joe. <laughs> A lot of bars in this episode. I've never, uh, I've never passed a bar. I've always stopped at them. Right. That's something that you and uh, JFK Jr. have in common. You guys both never passed a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, conventions this weekend. There are conventions this weekend. Uh, quickie, we're getting toward the holidays. I'll give you a preview for next week. There's no conventions next week. Oh, good. I know you'd be surprised that there's no conventions over Christmas weekend or is it next weekend or the weekend after? I think there's no, I think there's no conventions for the next two weeks actually. Right. Cause you got those travel days, man. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, big apple comic con is this weekend and you know, you got, it's a, it's a light crew, but it's a good crew. It's got, uh, Larry Hama's going to be there and Jim Steranko is going to be there. And Don't I, I find it very funny that there was a point over the summer where he stopped being advertised as Jim Steranko and just as Steranko with an exclamation point. I want to see if I could find that thing where it was like the Marvel documentaries and it was it was a Joe Quesada who was like, that's what they should just call him. He's like, it's not Joe Steranko. Everybody just said Steranko. You know, that was because that's what he went by. I don't know if you know this. He was a magician and an escape artist for a while. Bizarre, which is, as I've said before, every time you meet him, say what you want about Sterenko. But he knows how to work a crowd. I've said it before. He'll have three lined up tables that he's behind with all product and merchandise out. And he'll tell a story and he'll be like, he'll be like looking down the barrel of you, you know, talking to you for like eight seconds and then he'll walk a little bit and he'll look in the direction of a couple more people and he'll walk up and down the it's like if i'm gonna have you i'm gonna have everybody um but yeah that always made me laugh that he's like just call him Steranko. i'm looking to see if i can find the clip online but i don't think i'm gonna be able to it was on like a disney plus gimmick right um i believe so or even just maybe like a youtube thing who knows gotcha Uh, So the link to that will be in the show notes, of course, uh, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, of course, you can find them uh, through your RSS feed and your podcatcher of choice. I hear the two people in the world that still use Google Podcasts are very sad because it's going away in four months. Yeah, I heard rumors. Now's the perfect time for you to get all your podcasts directly through soon to be named network.com. Sounds good. And I have stuff linked up for all of our friends that are doing stuff in and around the internet. Go check out Mike Sterling's blog over at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin at his blog, hellionsteam.com. He actually just made his uh, in-ring debut as a ring announcer for uh, his local wrestling promotion in the greater upstate New York area. So kudos, uh, congratulations to you on that, Kevin. That's uh, you know. I saw that. I think he was using your old uh, suit that you did. You oh, it's still crumped. I, I don't think so. It's still crumpled up in a ball on the floor of my car. I want to buy that and put that in like a jersey frame, a suit frame, <laughs> get you to sign it, see how many sniffs are left in it before I put it in oh, there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, too many, too many sniffs. <laughs> Probably more sniffs than any other article of clothing ever. 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Go check out Jason Sandberg's uh, Jupiter at his Indiegogo page. Go check out Chris Runt's Battle Monsters over at his site, fortressofcomicnews.com. Go check out our friend Davey of the band Cave People over at his site, cavedomaincomics.com. I know Mending is sold out physically. I know Keeper has got a few copies left of, but you can also purchase those directly uh, from him digitally support small business support small artists independent artists through and support our friends right mm-hmm. uh also you can go check out our if you do not have a comic book store in your area you do not have a good comic book store in your area let our comic book store be your comic book store comics on the green i have the facebook page linked up here where you can go and find out when the books are coming in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, because, of course, books come out Tuesdays and Wednesdays now. Uh, you can go sign up for their mail order subscription service, get stuff mailed to you weekly, biweekly, or monthly. And uh, if you do that, there's a good chance that you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky, who we're going to turn things over to right now as we're going to take her walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. This week we're going to cover issue number two from 1958. This has also been reprinted in the 1963 Lois Lane Giant Size Annual number two. That's easier and cheaper to find. And if you happen to pick up the annual, you'll also get such 1950s far-fetched hits as Lois has kryptonite vision, Lois is an alien, and Lois is a housemaid. We're going to cover Lois Lane in Hollywood. It's one of my personal favorites, so let's dive in. The gang from the Daily Planet are in Hollywood because a director named Zorn is shooting a movie about Superman's life. He has encouraged everybody to audition to play themselves, which they get in except for Lois. Lois has been told by the director that she cannot emote anger, jealousy, fear, or heartbreak. Which, in fairness to the director, this is only issue two. He has no idea what she's capable of. The director tells Lois that instead she will be played by Gilda Glamour and Lois will be a prop girl and stand in the corner. Lois is very heartbroken and jealous, but really, what can she do? The first scene they set up is a disgruntled ex-employee of the Daily Planet breaks in and tries to shoot Lois with Superman throwing himself in front of the bullets. As the gun is fired, instead of blanks, real bullets fly out, hit Superman, and fly out of the window. The director yells cut and asks which moron would load real bullets into a fake gun, and Gilder begins to yell that Lois is trying to John Wilkes booth her because she is jealous of everything that's going on. Lois denies having anything to do with the real bullets. They get into a shouting match, and Superman calms everybody down and tells the director that it was probably an honest mistake and that everything is fine. The next scene they set up is going outside where Superman gets his handprints and signature in a Hollywood Walk of Fame. Lois decides to stay out of trouble by climbing on top of a high camera and watching from above, only for her to slip, land in the concrete, and splatter Gilder again. Gilder begins to yell that Lois has a real problem with her and she's about to catch hands when Lois claims that she was pushed and that she has no idea why she fell in the cement. The entire crew tell the director that Lois jumped on purpose, and Superman tells Lois that she better quit messing around because she's sabotaging the movie. Lois is distraught and trying to tell them that she has nothing to do with what's going on, but they don't believe her, and the director tells her that she has one more chance. The third scene that they try to set up, Lois drops off the trophy to the city to the director, and the director tells her to go to the lot next door because he doesn't want her around for when the cameras start rolling. 
She goes next door to where they're shooting a safari movie with robot animals and leans against the lion and sobs to herself that everybody is mad at her. As Gilder is giving Superman the trophy to the city, Lois Lane, now attached to the back of a robotic lion, crashes through the scene and causes such a ruckus that Superman has to tear the robot lion in half with his bare hands. The director yells that he's going to shoot Lois and not with a camera, and that she better explain herself, and Superman begins to yell at her too. He breaks up with her and tells her that this is utter nonsense. He can't believe that she would be so jealous and heartbroken and fearful and angry while he's trying to have a successful movie and tells her to get out of here. Lois packs her bags and waits at the train for the first one-way trip back to Metropolis when Superman picks her up and brings her back to the studio. She asks him what's going on because everybody hates her, and he tells her, Look, I've been paying the crew members to purposely sabotage you this entire time so that I can place secret cameras to capture your jealousy, your anger, your fear, and your heartbreak, and now hopefully you can be in the movie. The director tells Lois that he didn't realize she was such a wonderful actress, even though she's trying to tell him she thought everything was real. But he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to fire Miss Glamour. You're going to be in this movie instead. Lois is delighted and everybody lives happily ever after. Fun fact about the DC Comics, which actually isn't related to Lois Lane, but Gilder Glamour is obviously based on Hedy Lamar, who was a famous actress of the time, and Bill Finger and Bob Kane used her as the original Catwoman. So if you ever happen to look at a reprint of a Batman number one, you'll see she's a dead ringer for Hedy Lamar. Join me for next week when Lois sabotages something else. And I always say it when she talks about these things, uh, how much story they would pack into some of these store uh into these books um and then reprint things so quickly that this was something that was in issue two of lois lane but also in the annual as well because that's how annuals used to work back in the 50s where you know it's a supersized thing it's a little bit more expensive um at the time but you would get like one new story and then a bunch of reprints Right, they were almost like big 80-page giants kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I remember, I don't remember they were called annuals. I think they were called like giant-sized specials, or they had some sort of code name for them, where like Mad Magazine would do that. Like, I think it was just the, the way that you would do things in the 50s, where you would have this, you know, sometimes even like square-bound almost, yep. you know, larger thing, where it was just a bunch of reprints from the previous years, and there might be like, one new thing in there i know in the, once it got to the 70s um and i know they sent it up on um oh there was super specials that's what they were called they're mad magazine super specials because they did the gimmick about it on the simpsons um you remember the episode of the simpsons where bart brought them in and like the t-shirt like the iron-ons caused like all this uh, sort of chaos and the kids right, all had right. uniforms at the school that was like the b story mm-hmm. but in the 70s they would do like iron-ons like iron-ons for your shirts and that would be the gimmick it's like here's a hundred pages of reprinted stories but you can get a bunch of like snappy answers to stupid comebacks on an iron-on for your shirt right i vaguely remember that um but i would like to say um superman's girlfriend lois lane number two came out in 1958 Mm-hmm. Um, and the annual did not come out. They only did two annuals for Lois Lane and one was 62 and one was 63. So it was almost a decade later or no, okay. like five years well, later, like five or six years later. But yeah, yes. but still, and that's the thing, you know, back in the day, there were no collections. 
Right. You know, it's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to pick up Lois Lane. I missed issue one. I'll just wait for the trade to come out. Mm-hmm. Oh, you uh, missed it. You missed it. It's gone. Yep. Go try to find it at another trade a book with, with a kid and try to get another one. Right. Um, and I just found it funny. Every time, uh, you know, she was talking about Hedy Lamar, I was like, it's Headley. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can't not get that out of my, my head. And didn't Hedy Lamar like invent like sonar or something like that? I think you're making things up. Uh, uh, let's see. She was a, she was a scientist and it said, although Lamar had no formal training and was primarily self-taught, she invested in her spare time, including, uh, in, in between like takes and stuff on set and designing draft invention, which included improved traffic stoplight and a tablet that would dissolve into water to create a flavored carbonated drink. Um, I'm looking to see what else she kind of invented. Um, but maybe it was something with radar that she helped do. Um, I don't know. I'll have to see if I can come up with it. Sorry. No, it's okay. And I, I'm just doing a little digging here on Hedy Lamar. Uh, her shoot name mm-hmm. is Hedwig Eva Marie Keisler. Oh, that's crazy. But I love that Hedwig... Um, uh, they they went they went for the shortened version, which oh. was Hetty. Um, this is what I found. It was she developed frequency hopping technology. Um, uh, that kind of became the 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 beginning of what would become Wi-Fi. Oh, look at so that! So she kind of was like they actually call her the mother of Wi-Fi. That's why I was saying radar or sonar, but I knew it was something else. You know what I mean? Radar, sonar, Wi-Fi—it's all the same. It is. It all works on the same principle. If she was here, she'd explain it. Yes. Sadly, she's not. Thank you again, Becky. Um, I know. I know she uh, is enjoying doing these. I'm enjoying listening to these. It's a, a part of history for comics that is a definite blind spot to me, and I would assume to a lot of other people not named Mark Wade. And uh, <laughs> Becky puts herself in a rarefied air when it comes to that sort of specific knowledge. So, again, I do appreciate her taking the time out of her busy day uh, to impart us, Todd and I, and you, the listeners, with uh, her fandom of these sort of comics. Yes. Uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which is Batman Santa Claus Silent Night, uh, number one, uh, written by Jeff Parker and art by Michelle Bandini. Want to draw? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Again, listen, I was Todd. Everybody, write it. Th- take a drink, everybody. What? I just- his favorite documentary. I don't know what you're talking about. She would teach drawing classes, I believe. And that was her catchphrase. Go ahead. Um, so the, the issue starts out in Gotham City with uh, cal- carolers walking around the city. And in the first time in the history of uh, any media, uh, a person named Todd or in real life was annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, they end up getting attacked by these flying creatures. So Batman and Robin swoop in to study the crime scene. Um, I like the fact that like, uh, this is like the first time that I've kind of really seen Robin get admonished by Batman for saying the cruel things that he says. Um, but obviously they think it's a whole man bat 
thing. But uh, Batman's like, well, I maybe Supernatural, we're going to bring in a specialist. Zatanna shows up. She ends up giving them like kind of the information of what she thinks they are. They're the, the drog, which are like a Norse undead and uh, more of them attack. And they end up getting help from uh, Santa Claus, maybe. And uh, we end up finding out that Santa Claus maybe trained Batman as he traveled the world. And then we get, like, through a series of events, we get a possible origin, which is more the Nordic origin for uh, Chris Kringle, Santa Claus uh, kind of a deal. And how the villain may be, and I'm going to spoil because everybody knows who's, who's going to go up against Santa Claus. It's the Krampus and how they were they kind of were together at the beginning and how maybe the Krampus maybe was okay but then became tainted we don't know how um and this is going to be the story of them you know trying to stop the Krampus from doing Krampusy things um i thought it was a, a good story um it was a little little dark for my taste i'm a fan of the like happy go lucky christmas tales but uh it wasn't so like dark that i that i you know like i hated it but in the end i was like ah this is this is interesting and we see a different version of santa claus and i like them asking like well what about like is christmas is is now like and he's like ah they haven't needed me for that in a long time like that runs on its own and i'm like okay this isn't like jolly old saint nick you know what i mean this is the nordic version so i'm okay with it so I knew nothing about this book. The only thing I knew is when we covered the story of the candy cane scented cover, right? Right, which I smelled and was awesome. <laughs> and that cover is like a close-up of Santa's face. And Santa was um, like, it looked a little bit more menacing on that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, is this like an evil Santa Claus that Batman, like, so I had no expectations for what this story is. Um, I'm a Jeff Parker fan, you know, cool hand Ange himself. Um, you can make wrestling references, so can I. What? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but I thought this was fun. And I, I think once you involve the Krampus and stuff, things are going to get a little darker than what you would like for your typical rollicking holiday special sort of thing. And this is a bi-weekly four issues thing, right? I think it's a weekly thing. Okay. Um, because yeah, two, I think, is on my list for what's like uh, uh, coming out this week. Okay. Okay. You, I, I, yeah, you are correct. My apologies there. Um, but I thought this was fun. You know, they they get oh. the, you know, that the, like you get the man bat fake out. You mentioned that the drog, it's a vampiric strain of the Norse undead. Uh, we get a little bit of the origin of the rivalry between Krampus and santa claus and i like the bit that when he was defeated that the krampus like still was going around acting like the big evil thing but because he had no powers he was like, just scaring little children so santa had to make like little trinkets to give the scared children mm -hmm. that the, the krampus was scaring and i'm like oh and again now they you know the the, the nordic sensibilities of all this sort of stuff um and you know you get your through line of is it going to be a little telegraphed maybe that Damien is going to learn a very important lesson about the holidays at the end of this? What? <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, like one of the covers, Superman's on the cover. We get the Zatanna guest appearance in this. You know, there's a way to work in. And it's canon, but, you know, kind of light canon. Uh, there's definitely a fun book, um, you know. I can't imagine, you know, that this is 
going to be on anyone's best of end of the year list sort of thing. But it's definitely not bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think um, it's going to be on the best of the holiday issues this year. Yeah. Like this is definitely something that, you know, it's weekly and I don't know what the solicitation schedule looks like on it, but this is something that I wish started a little bit sooner so that they could have like the trade of this. Right. But then you're getting into that. Like, I don't know, like too far out. It'll be there for next year and forever, you know? Yeah. And and that's the other thing is, so, okay, maybe you missed the single issues this time around. This gets collected. This gets traded. This comes out next year. It's evergreen. It doesn't matter what continuity it fits into, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, You could just put a Batman Santa Claus story out all the time. And I know, I know there was one that got taken off of HBO Max and put over onto Amazon that came out this past week. But I could absolutely see, you know, once everything's said and done, you know, I haven't read the whole thing, of course, you know, it could kind of blow up in my face, right? Um, That they end up adapting this into, like, an animated thing on whatever DC streaming service or Tubi, you know? Right, Jimmy Pistol's going to adapt this. Yeah. For the holiday special, right after he does the Lobo paramilitary Christmas oh, special. Oh, like he did the, like he did the uh, Gardens of the Galaxy holiday special. I'm putting money on it that we're getting a Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. Yeah. Big money. All right. Did Salty Keith write that? That'd be a nice way to give uh, the Salty Keith estate a nice uh, paycheck, you know? I'm 99% sure that he wrote the Lobo Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. Mm -hmm. I'm looking that up right now because that's what I do. All right. Well, while you're looking that up, let's talk about the book that I was the most looking forward to coming out this past week. Uh, Thunderbolts number one, uh, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Geraldo Borges. Um, This definitely feels as though it's going to line up to whatever the Thunderbolts in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be. Um, This spins out of whatever the previous pre-J. Michael Straczynski run on Captain America was. Right. Rolls out of that. Um, You know, we get uh, Val, you know, Madam Hydra person that was played by Elaine in... Um, Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, and made an appearance in Black Panther 2. And it's essentially her working with Bucky Winter Soldier, amassing a team to actually take down the big name villains. You know, Mm -hmm. we've let them run far too long unchecked. You know, it's essentially like we beat them, they run away, we think we kill them, they just possess somebody else. And it's them putting a team together to stop that. And this is a fine concept in theory. I would have never read this book if it did not have Thunderbolt on the cover. Right. Um, Can any book ever recapture the magic of Thunderbolts number one from 1997? Absolutely not. Will I continue to chase that as long as they put out a book that has Thunderbolts on the cover? Mm -hmm. You bet your sweet bippy I will. Right. But this is oh. this is fine. It was good, but I just have a different expectation for a book called Thunderbolts. Right. I I I didn't read Thunderbolts, honest to God, the Kurt Busick Thunderbolts. 
until the pandemic, because we were mm-hmm. reading Kirk Busick stuff, Conan, and <clears throat> fill in the time when there's no books. And so it's never going to, I mean, it was well written. There's, you know, I'm not going to argue that. But there was no way uh, I was going to get what you guys got because I, the sport, the, the one had been spoiled for a decade by the time uh, I got to read it. So I, I enjoyed it. So I have no expectations. I read this Thunderbolts and it wasn't for me. That's all I have to say. Okay. I, I, I didn't care for it. It wasn't for me. Like this, I just tap out and I'm done. Yeah. So like I said, not a, um, not a book that I would ever pick up if I wanted it in the first place. I got it. It was okay. I'll give it a second look. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, uh, just as a side uh, note to it, the one of the people that's on the team, and again, a lot of it gets spoiled if you know what's going on with the Thunderbolts that is coming up and much delayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it's the former Ma- Madam Hydra. It's Bucky. It's, um, you know, we don't get the full team in this issue either. Um, it's Red Guardian and it's Sharon Carter under her new guise as Destroyer. Right, which that I completely didn't understand. Right. And, okay, I don't even so know I, what the Destroyer is before, like, Sharon Carter. Okay. Know? So Destroyer was, like, I think they did a Max revival of it when they were doing Max books. Remember Max? Remember yes. Marvel Max? Yes, I do. Um, but Destroyer is like an old, like seventies or eighties, like, you know, like military type person, but Sharon Carter taking on the moniker of Destroyer. I'm sure that was more explained in the pre J. Michael Straczynski, Captain America run, but I thought the design of the costume looked really cool. Right. It was all right. (laughs) So again, you know, they can't all be winners, but like I said, definitely not bad. Just. If you have that preconceived no, I don't know what you would call this. Um, like, like I would have called this book Bucky's Heroes. I there you go. You know, right? It's, but you know, but it is, is what it, it is really on the, the tin. But I understand you have to have like branding and right. name recognition, and you need to have a trade paperback on the shelves when the Thunderbolts movie comes out. That the people in the movie look like the people that's in the comic books. I understand all of it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna but, keep. The, I'm gonna keep chasing that thunderbolt. You're gonna keep chasing that, that thunderbolt high. You know. Yes. I will say though, as you're saying, it should be called uh, Bucky's Heroes. I'm with that. Be- and it's but it's called Thunderbolts. But most of the books called Secret Wars weren't about wars that were a secret either. That's true. So you know, it's about name recognition. Should have called it on Crisis on Bucky's Heroes. All right. And for the record, Lobo's Military Christmas Special was written by both Keith Giffen and Alan Grant. But Keith would get that money especially because he created Lobo. Yeah. yeah. Or was co-creator, you know. Right. Cool, cool. Yeah. I'll tweet at right. Jimmy Pistol later and tell him to make it. Right. Get that bag for Keith's family. Yeah. Again, you know, there's there's been a lot of jimmy pistol dc universe stuff online but again i'm not touching any of it this week until it's like right. hard facts press releases sort of thing right right uh so uh that's what we read from this past week let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week uh if you head over to longboxheroes.com every tuesday around noon eastern time we put up uh the pull post which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in print whether you get them digitally whether you're waiting for the trades 
be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I are attempting to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead over Todd with one correct guess. Mm-hmm. And there's only, what, three weeks left in this calendar year? Right, I don't think I can make it up, Joe. I can give you I can give you my next two weeks if you want to plan. Okay, and I could lie the next two weeks too. Um but anyway, uh no, I I, I think we're gonna we'll see where we go. But I think this week, uh I know what your book is definitely mm-hmm. is uh Where the Body Was hardcover by Ed Brubaker. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. And I'm gonna guess that that's what you're most looking forward to coming out this week as well. No, it's Speed Force number two. No, it's it's where the body was hardcover. Come on now. If you're um, gonna cheat, you gotta make it at least realistic, you know? Yeah. Uh yeah. It's the new Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips thing. And I think um some of the art chores uh, is being handled by Sean Phillips' kid. Right, the one who does that Texas Blood. Yeah. Maybe the Enfield Gang uh massacre story. Yeah. Um, I know he, um, and again, I don't know how much of it he's doing or did or whatever. Um, you know, they're both credited as writers, or I'm sorry, as artists of the book. And in the write-up, it just has Sean Phillips. It does not have his son Jacob in there. But, you know, hey, you gotta listen. I'm okay with nepotism in this case, in this case alone. I'm for nepotism all the time. All right. Uh, so, hey, uh, no movement there on the board. Todd's got two weeks left to eat at worst tie. At worst tie. Uh, worst lose, actually. Uh, best win. But anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, so while you're over at longboxhears.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to. Whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. And of course, the current ongoing and this iteration is almost done. Before the new one starts for next year. I know. I'm, I'm making a sad face. Can uh, you believe? And, <sighs> and that would be, uh, we've been reading Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And we are reading the first two issues of Overture number one. And this is one of those ones I have the single issues of. And I have the hardcover of. I read it once when it came out. And when I was rereading it again this week. And it says special oversized issue. And I'm like, oh, should I have put two oversized issues? Should I have maybe broken these up a little bit? But they're not as oversized as they have you believe. Maybe they're mostly two page like uh, spreads kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, the thing I, I have all these issues in the individual format too, Joe. I have them in a big helm edition too. Um, but I also have all the variant covers on these, Joe. I even have the lenticular one that was a uh, con exclusive for the first oh, issue. And that's the thing that I want to mention. I think, I think I wrote it up in, uh, in the Todd and Joe have issues post that comes out. Right. Really? Did not notice? Mm. That's me. So, yeah. so you, this, I think this came out in 2013. That's the publishing date on this, at least issue one, right? Yeah. Uh, 2013. Yes. Right, and there's a book that was delayed, of course. You can't rush perfection. You can't rush geniuses, and that's who was working on this book, and we're getting to the book itself momentarily. But you could tell that this was during the industry whatever period that issue one of this has 
nine variant covers, and every subsequent issue has five variant covers. Right, though I will take away one variant cover from each one. Okay. Just because, to me, it's not a variant cover. It is slightly, because one would say, um, what did they call it with the codes in them? The digital codes? That was the only difference between the cover. They're like, if you want to pay a dollar more, we're giving you the digital code. Uh, Otherwise, this is the regular version. So do you consider that because they're both the same exact cover by J.H. Williams? Yes, because there's a different little thing on there that says the digital code. And sometimes they would alter the coloring slightly on the covers to make them a little bit different. Okay, because when I looked at them, I could not tell a difference to save my life. Okay. But that's just me just arguing semantics, you know? Right. But All right, so the like we said, the book is written by Neil Gaiman, art by J.H. Williams, um, with... Uh, just like amazing coloring, man. Uh, so beautiful uh, by him. Um, but the book starts out on a faraway planet, uh, you know, with this uh, with these plant people, we can call them. And there's this uh, plant that looks remarkably like a plant version of uh, Morpheus. And the plant's dreaming. And obviously they're using the word balloons just like Morpheus. Morpheus and he shows up and he's like, something's wrong uh you know something is is waking something damaged and he can feel it and then he just bursts into flames and dies and the plant wakes up like you know classic dream like what did i just see so what's that all about cut to to september 1915 london there's this young guy that's talking to obviously the corinthian who's interested in him and joe anytime the corinthian's interested in you that's a bad thing um who's seeing this but destiny reading from his book and he talks about uh you know he's he's seeing what's going on in present day and he calls his sister death to their gallery and she's basically making the joke about like oh i'm shocked how'd you know i was going to be here and he's like i read the book blah, blah and you know like she's like well just look forward ahead to like what's going on he's like that's not the way i do i don't cheat um and I, she's like, basically, I'm here because I wanted your advice about dream. He says, why? He's like, because I just took, I just uh, took them, you know, a galaxies away, and one of us dies. It's never well. Um, she's, he's like, I, should I talk to him? He's like, no. Um, well, you could look ahead in the book again. And he's like, oh, that's not. And he's like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so uh, we cut to again Corinthian talking to George Portcullis, who has a who's a man with portcullis for his head. Obviously, we're in dream, uh, in a in the dreaming kind of a deal, and he ends up uh, talking to him, and and uh, the, the portcullis guy is like, oh, I, I work for a master that I don't think I'm ever going to meet until he ends up meeting, you know, Morpheus, who looks cool as heck in that 1915 garb with the top hat, the black suit and the red ruby on his tie. I like mark out at that look. He ends up transferring to his London office, which he had forgotten that he kind of, kind of built. And he calls the Corinthian there as the Corinthian was going to meet that young, that young lad. And he ends up basically having a conversation with them that, you know, you went wrong kind of like you're on your way you're messing with the with the humans in the dream world and he's like oh so i could i could like 
taunt them in their nightmares and and tempt them to kill people and stuff like that. But I can't go out and murder them and eat their eyes. He's like, no, no, you can't. He's like, well, I want a trial by my peers. He's like, no, you're here. So I don't have to unmake you in front of everybody else. And he's like, oh, okay. And it kind of looks like he's not going to go down without a fight because he's taking out his knives. He looks like he's going to thing. And he's like, Morpheus like, no, something's wrong. I have to go. And he leaves. Obviously, he's felt whatever's going on in the galaxy. And the Corinthian says, I'm talking to Porcalus. I'm going to run. I'm going to go and do my thing. First, I'm going to meet a young lad uh, and take his eyes kind of a deal. And this is obviously in issue one where Corinthians gone into the waking world to, to uh, uh, what do you call it? Run, like do the things that he, that he does that lead up to later on in the story. Um, Morpheus goes to the dreaming. He ends up going to see uh, his throne room and he gets all his garb dressed for battle. Lucian comes in and says, uh, you're going, you're dressing for battle. He's kind of like, I have to go somewhere. Something is, you know, calling me. He's like, well, are you going to come back? And he's like, I, of course I'm going to come back. I have obligations. And he gets like yanked across the universe and he ends up landing on this planet. And there's like a bunch of different versions of people who kind of look like alien and different versions of Morpheus. And they're all like, oh, we've been, you know, waiting for one more to come. And like, he's like, what? And then they say next issue, uh, a con, I don't know how to say that, like a conclave of dreams, if you will. Then they mean Morpheus. So, you know, obviously I'll save all of my um, full thoughts until we get to issue two. Right. Um, I like this because it's beautiful. J.H. Williams art is amazing. And everything being done in two page spreads for the most part. Mm-hmm. And most the the things that are done in the two page spreads are so beautiful and different. It's it's like even if there was no words in this book, it would be amazing. Yep. And the fact that there are words and you know a lot of things are being set up, of course. Um you know, and this is the establishing of the Corinthian, which, you know, obviously out of the TV show as well. But, you know, 10 years ago, this def like putting the Corinthian in a spot like this feels a little fan servicey. But I'm a fan and fan service things service me. So I'm OK with that. Um, I'll, you know, be the same way with my thoughts on the end. Um, but I'm fine with it because it lines up in the storyline timing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and I'm fine with it. And him going to Lucian and saying, well, you're definitely coming back. You know what I mean? He's like, I have my responsibilities. And it's like, is this, you know, like I could think of a thousand things that can go wrong because where we are in the store, in the Sandman timeline, if you will. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with all that. I'm with you. I'm a fan and I like to have fan service to <laughs> And I'll just say this as we continue, you know, obviously this was the era when DC was putting the digital codes in books. Mm. Um, and you're saying, well, I don't count the di- the difference there. And I know that you said that there's not a huge difference on issue one. Like, I know it because I have the digital code version. Um, on issue two, it's a little bit more noticeable because the logo and the text that's on the cover is black on one and it's red on the other. Okay. 
Fair right, enough so, on that one. Right, so it doesn't pop as much on one. It pops a little bit more on two because the discrepancy there, like going from black text on the cover to red text on the cover. And that's the difference between the regular version and the one that has the digital code. Now I have to go out and buy all the digital code ones. There um, you go. But uh, I'm not a completist, though. So anyway, right. on to issue two, Overture. Same creative team. Um, and we're in the now. Um, and it's Daniel... Um, as as dream and as striking as Morpheus looks in 1915 in that all black getup with the red um, uh, uh, gem on his chest, Daniel looks equally as striking in all white with the green gem uh, on him. I just like I'm with you. J.H. Uh, Williams can do no wrong in this, and he says I have somewhere to go. And Lucian's like, well, you know, all these people are here to have an audience with you. Um, and has been on your calendar, and he ends up saying, like, you know, take care of it. Uh, I'm not going to be gone too long. But he's like, you know, Lucian deals with it, as Lucian does, because he's his assistant. And uh, Daniel goes somewhere, and he ends up finding Mad Hetty sleeping. And she's he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I startled you. And she's like, oh, you know, she's talking about aliens and stuff like that, because she's always a little bit out of it. Um and they're outside this hospital and we end up finding out that some of Matt Hetty's origin is from this insane asylum kind of a deal that when she lost family, she was there and she, she kind of, you know, spent her time there and was forgotten. And she ended up like, you know, walking out at some point. And then when she came back, nobody was here. So she ended up making her like, you know, a room full of leaves and made a bed. Um, and now she's like two on, uh, she's 200 and some years old. And now she only ever comes back in dreams. Obviously she's here with Daniel. She asks who he is and he tells her that he's dream. And I might've been on different name the last time you talked to me. And I do like that. She's like, no, you're nothing like him. And all the reasons that she gives, because, you know, Morpheus was stuffy and the, 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 the broomstick line makes me laugh. And she's like, but you, you could be related to him. And she ends up giving the brief descri- uh, description of the wake, um, kind of like where everybody was there for the, for the funeral. And, uh, she's like, it, I, it's me. And he ends up finding this watch type thingy. And she's like, oh, I found that years ago. It didn't work, but I, I couldn't feel uh, my, you know, get rid of it. I couldn't get rid of it, but no, I didn't think anybody would want to buy it. So I kept, and he's like, uh, thank you. And he ends up kind of uh, taking it. And she's like, what will I do now? He ends up uh, taking it to someone and he apologizes and they say, no, sir, it's not a problem. It's all in the past. Very confusing, very wibbly wobbly kind of a deal. Um, cut back to Morpheus and basically the next couple of pages are very interesting in that uh, it's a bunch of aspects of Morpheus talking to each other and they're talking about how they're all different aspects and they've been waiting for him to come here and you know it's obvious what's what's happened and what is going to happen there's one cat version that's like you know talking especially to him and the bit where he says um Wait a minute. Am I always like this as they're arguing? He's like, and they're like, what? He's like, self-possessed and unwilling to concede center stage to anyone but myself. And they're like, yeah. They're like, ah, fascinating. Um, so, and they said, they I, can, go ahead, sorry. I was going to interject here and say, um, 
I love, love, love all the designs for the different aspects of Morpheus Mm -hmm. Dream. When I say all, I mean, Todd, there are so many. And they all look different. They all look cool. And it's all uh, J.H. Williams III art. And, like, he goes through painstaking detail to, like, use different art styles, mixing with each other, you know, to give it, like, that different look and that feel. But, like, you still know it's Morpheus, Mm -hmm. right? And I love all these designs. And we got the bit at the end of issue one where it's, like, the big two-page spread of them. And then we get them kind of laid out a little bit more here. And it's almost as though, like, unless they're crossing panels with each other, which, again, it's a two-page spread. It's a beautiful book. You know one of the things that I hate more than anything in comics is when people speak and they use different fonts to, like, get that over. Mm -hmm. I hate most of the fonts that are used in this. I don't. I I, I love the fonts, A, but it works. It works because it kind of gives you which ones are talking, so I'm fine with it. Yes, yes. But my favorite Morpheus that's not Morpheus is the one from Krypton. Um, okay. when you when you get right past the last bit with Daniel and there is one with the Superman crest kind of on his chest but more of an a figure 8. So that was like the way the they way they wore their family crests on their shirt on their chest and he has the red cape. I'm like that's the dream of Krypton. Blew my mind when I reread this. Yeah. So I kind of went and I was like looking I was like, "Oh, is the the chicken anything is this person that you know what i mean is this one from a legion of superheroes and they probably are but i'm just missing it you know i'm sure at the time somebody went through and has where all of these things aspect to i'm sure if we took the time we could find them because again it's only 10 years ago the internet absolutely was the thing that it is today then i don't have that sort of time on my hands no Right. So anybody asked, they asked like, okay, we're all here. Does anybody know who, what kind of caused this? And then one dream was like, I, I, I do. They're like, who are you? He's like, I'm dream, obviously, you know, cause they're all, and he's like, but he's the first one, the first one that walked, you know, when, when, when creatures in the universe, um, uh, you know, first started dreaming. So it, it's an interesting to see that aspect. And they're like, well, there's uh, one group of people that would know, you know, who, who, who did this? And they're like, okay, um, we, we could ask them. And he goes, okay. So Morphe's like, I'm going to take control through the gem. He ends up going and talking to, uh, what does he call him? The glory of the first circle. And Morpheus is like, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, like, really? We're just going to go straight to it. None of the, the, the you know, the, the pomp and circumstance. And he even mentions, he's like nothing about your family. And he's like, my family's well as, or as they can be explanations. And he ends up explaining that, uh, you know, there's kind of a, the way bodies get cancer, like it's one cell in a billion that goes wrong and things blow out into cancer. And he goes, well, there are billions of galaxies in the law in the universe and a star has gone mad. And that's, infecting the universe like cancer you know and like armies are you know are 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 drawing on each other and the universe will shake and this will spread until everything ceases to be and morpheus is like uh i do not understand why i'm here and he's like 
because something died a long time ago. And he's like this, you know, uh, uh, no, that doesn't happen yet. I'm sorry. And then we kind of cut away. Uh, oh, he says, it's because of you, 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 you did something. He's like, it's not over. Is it? Um, and then we see this like dark skinned woman who is getting, you know, uh, served by this woman. And she asks him, she asks her if the, you know, she hears word that the, the armies are brewing and things are shaking. And she's like, where do you hear all these rumors? It's like, you know, from people kind of a deal. And she's like, Oh, well, you know, that's great. And everything has anybody sent word. And he's like, no, he's like, well, we'll see. Uh, because, uh, grudges, she's talking about grudges. Like our, our kind, uh, have grudges and we'll see where that goes. Kind of a deal. And we're not sure who this character is yet. Um, so Sandman is Morpheus is still talking and he's like, it's the vortex. It's like, he thought he had stopped it, you know, way back in the day. Um, but now he's going to have to take to it. And he's like, I could go to the endless, but, uh, I won't, but I have to go where my kind can't, can't go. And they've established that, uh, each of the endless or, or each of the dreams are experiencing this at, at, at the same way. So they're disappearing until there's one left. They're all walking on this journey the same way. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go on this journey alone. There are no more dreams less left than me, except for the cat. And he's like, wait a minute, you know, wh- why are you here? He's like, well, you know, you just, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm walking by you. And he's like, then why am I talking to you? It's like, uh, probably, you know, cause I, I need the, 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 the company. And then he goes, well, where we're going, do you think father, will be pleased to see us and you know there's no answer and they're like in the next issue in which a father dies an old love is rescued and a story is told so i this is obviously leading to the they mentioned in the past books that we read that there was a vortex before the one of rose walker and this is probably he said he he let a universe die and all that um because or half the universe died uh, this is going to be that tale of it, I would presume. I know what it is, but that's kind of what they're leading you to. Right. Uh, so I'll say I did not love the first issue. Right. But you can't get to the second issue without the first issue. Mm-hmm. I mentioned fan service, and there's nothing wrong with fan service. But I can't imagine somebody picking up or why they would pick up Sandman Overture as their first Sandman comic. With little to no grasp of what this book is and has been and could be, and being like, "Yep, I want more of this." Right. Um, I do like the fact that they end up talking about like a star gone mad, and because you know the personification of it, and then the council who created all the rules, uh, this guy and everything, and it takes it all back to the Sandman story, the Morpheus story in Endless Nights. Like mm-hmm. I feel that's actually a prelude to all of this, if that makes any sense. Um, so like after he constructed the whole story for, for uh, one to 75 and he was done, I feel like his story, he's like uh, the new arc of Sandman starts in, in uh, what do you call it? Endless nights. And it leads up to the beginning of Sandman one. If that makes any sense, it's very interesting. Like the way he did it. Yeah. So it's good. It's just, you know, obviously we're at the end 
And if you haven't been following here since, then by all means, you know, you're now's not the time. Like, go back to the beginning and start there and we'll we'll be waiting here for you. How about that? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so I, I got issues three and four for next week. You know, and I, I'll even say this, even if you haven't been following along with us uh, for this, go to your local comic book shop. If they got a copy of this not shrink wrapped, um, just look at this book. I mentioned before, especially with the first issue, um, even if there were no words, no dialogue, no anything else in it, just a masterclass in page layout, panel layout, art, and just amazing. And then to have Neil's words and direction and storytelling on top of it, it's just, it's perfect comics. It's just sadly not for everybody. Right, I cannot argue, but I know what you're saying. Who's going to start with their first issue on this? The only thing I can think of is like all the people who heard how great Sam was. Like, oh, a new Sandman after how it's many a new years? Sandman number one. I'm going to start here, right? Yep, yep, yep. So, but I remember the only thing I really remembered about this was that it it was hurt by how late it was as yes. we went. So I'm liking this story better because. I'm reading it. I read it in one shot before we started this and it makes it more digestible than waiting the months and forgetting what was going on in the book. But we'll get there. We will get there. Like I said, I can go, I could probably go find the spreadsheets or Mm -hmm. whatever else it is to see how late this book was, you know? Right. There's gotta be websites with that. Yeah. Yeah. So be sure uh, to get your pigs can pick them picks in. Yeah, we're almost at the end. We're almost at the end. Um, how many more games are left in the regular season? Three games, four games? Uh, I believe four games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in ninth place, still not out. And I'm in 17th place, still on the uh, first page of things, you know? It, it, anything could happen, Joe. Right. Anything could happen. Anything can happen, and most likely will. Um, so... Five more games. Five more games. Five more games. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mentioned that. Of course, you can help us out by making um, any and all of your purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, This page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You can use this affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. Uh, T public store sale is still going on as we speak. If you're listening to this, I think today is the last day to get things in time for Christmas without paying expedited shipping, but everything's 35% off. So if you want to wait another week, that 35% just kind of like eats up the expedited shipping, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you could also go sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash longbox heroes. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and myself. Uh, one comic book oddities where we look at more of the off the beaten path pre Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, forgotten, maybe for the best, maybe not for the best uh, comic book related TV and movies that have come out over the last 30 plus 40 plus years. We did that Doctor Strange thing from the 70s, right? Yeah, uh, we have the uh, much maligned, ill fated uh, found on many a Comic Con bootleg table the 1997 justice league pilot that aired uh i think it was christmas or thanksgiving weekend on cbs and we're going to talk about it this week Uh, of course 
previewing the past is the other show uh, that we do, which is looking at 30 years ago this month's uh, previews catalog. And we have the full scans up there for any Patreon level that you're at. Uh, if you saw the announcement on Twitter, I could make the announcement here. Uh, we have been renewed up to 2027 <laughs> for previewing the past. Oof, that's a long time, Joe. Certainly is. I might have some. I might have some leads in 9899. Um, um, I, I might have one or two in 98s here. So <laughs> that when uh, the Mad Basis gave us that that like bunch of them, yeah. there was random like 90s. I don't know. There was past 97, one or two. So we need to get 20. We need to get 94. Boat up. Right? Mm-hmm. We need to get 95 boat up. We need to get 96 boat up. Then we'll start worrying about 97, 98, 99. No, I know, but I'm just saying we... Yep. Yep. Yeah, don't go buy-in. If you're going to buy individual and not in groups, let me look before you do. I got an eye out for one or two more uh, for 97 to finish off 97, but we got all right. of 96. Right. If you're finishing up 97, that's fine. But uh, I'll look and see if I even have one of them. You know what I mean? So. Yep. Yep. Uh, so $5 a month is going to get you those bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. It's also going to get you Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm-hmm. And now I guess it's time to talk about the Doctor Who and the Giggle. That's right. The uh, third of the, the specials, the 60th anniversary special. Um, now, before so, you go in as the Doctor Who person, right? Right, right, right. I really liked this a lot. Okay. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, the lore stuff, whatever, you know, the other companion that shows up. I don't know who she is and what her classic one, is. Classic one, yeah. Sure. Uh, I know the lady, the lady that runs Unit. I think we've seen her before, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew who she was. Um, I-, I thought this was a much better mix of them doing the practical effects and the CG effects than the previous episode. Okay. And uh, I'll let you go through everything else, but I, I, I know that you were like, oh, Joe's not going to like this. I really like this a lot. I, I didn't say that. I said I can't wait to see what you thought of it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Okay. Um, so it starts out in 1925 Soho, where this uh, scientist assistant gets uh, a Stooky Bill doll dummy from a toy uh, guy who's Neil Patrick Harris. Played um, with a plum. And let me get my notes. Uh, needlessly creepy Neil Patrick Harris. Anybody who's selling toys to children needs to be needlessly creepy. As and creepy as the people who buy those figures. Joe. And he's doing a faux German accent. Oh my goodness. Sign me up, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Which is like falling in and out. He has different. Oh, I'm fine with all that. Like, but. Uh, oh, so I wasn't critiquing it. I was no. just making a point. No, I don't know. I don't know where that falls on your list of, you know, like wigs compared to uh, accents. Um, but the the dummies being used for the first ever uh, TV transmission, like the, the scientists trying it. Um, and because they can't be under the lights, they're so hot. And they end up using it and, the, and they make it work. And the lights are so hot that it starts burning it. But we end up hearing like this giggle. 
Um, the thing that blew me away, take away all the, the goofiness of the story here. This is all true in real life. Mm-hmm. Like the, the scientist is the right name, did the thing, used the Stooky Bill dummy, and it did, it maybe not caught fire, but singed. I ended up looking up, I was like, because uh, my school sucked, I didn't know all this. No, neither did I. Right, but legitimate, this was the first broadcast, and that's what they used, and Doctor Who weaved it into it, and I thought that was absolutely uh, fascinating. Um, So now we, you know, cut to 2023 London with the Doctor and Donna running around with uh, Donna's grandfather, who I don't know if he was actually in these scenes so much as... uh, you know, it was a body double or whatever, but uh, they end up taking him off. Unit takes him off. But the yeah, doctor- he's, he's, and again, not to spoil anything, he's off at the end of the episode chasing moles, and we only hear right. him off camera. Right, but so. I don't know how, like, he dies shortly after this, so I don't even know if they got to film. Like, maybe he should have been at that table. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But they couldn't, because he was like 90-some years old. But anyway... Um, before all that, the doctor ends up talking to some of the people running around and we end up finding that whatever's going on with people, they're crazy, but everybody thinks they're absolutely right. So they're like warring with, with everybody. So, uh, unit shows up, they end up taking the TARDIS and the doctor and Donna to unit Avengers tower. I mean, uh, unit tower. Oh boy. Um, which looks exactly like the Avengers Tower. Um, and they get there and they end up explaining that everything that's going on, there's this like uh, sound over it. And they end up finding out that it's a giggle and it's uh, the, I think even the Stooky doll or whatever. And they're like, what is that? And it's affecting people, making them think that everybody's right. But we've managed some people at unit. We're using the Z-Dex, which is a, uh, br- uh, a bracelet around the arm kind of a deal. and But I love that there's uh, anti-ZDX people. There's a lot of, you know, kind of interesting things going on. Social here. commentary, Sherry? you would say? Yes, there's not a lot of it, like because they kind of get out of it quick. But I like what they're saying in this. Um, and we end up meeting Melanie Bush, who's a past uh, classic uh companion and we find out that you don't need the zx if you've traveled in the tardis that's why it's not affecting uh, and it has to be long you you have to do multiple trips kind of a deal um so they say all right uh it's coming from the satellite we're gonna blow it out of the sky they have a cannon outside the avengers tower i mean unit headquarters and they're gonna blast it he's like well give me the date um to the giggle and they end up saying it's coming from soho in 1925 so the doctor takes the TARDIS with Donna back and they find the toy store and he looks in the door and he kind of, I like the, 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 the cat and mouse when he's trying to look at Neil Patrick Harris and they go in and he starts talking to him and the doctor's like looking at him funny. And, uh, he, Neil Patrick Harris tells, starts talking about the very first game ever, which is ball. He's like, you throw it at me. I throw it at your head, kill a guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's when the doctor realizes who he is um, and she tells Donna to go back to the TARDIS. And he's like, she's like, you never tell me to do that. It's like, but well, we got to kind of stop this. So they end up chasing him into the back of the toy store. And it's got like all these doors. They end up getting separated um, in a creepy bit. Uh, uh, 
um, what do you want to call it? Uh, like he, the, uh, the doctor finds this guy whose head is now on the body of a, you know, uh, 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 wire puppet and stuff like that, which was a great effect. I thought that was super creepy. And yep. I thought that was a great example of the, um, practical and CG effects mixing. Right. And, uh, the bit with the, the Stooky dolls family attack and Donna was kind of creepy and she puts them in their place. And, um, as the doctor's realizing and in, in the scene before he realizes who it is, he realizes for us anyway, that it's the toy maker and he flashes back to shots from the classic, uh, to- story with the toy maker. And we see the first doctor, William Hartnell, and we see the guy who plays the, the, the celestial toy maker in the first, uh, in the, in the storyline. And just so you know, the guy, that guy is Michael Gow. I think you say his name. He was the Butler from the Tim Burton Batman. I was going to say that's Alfred. Yes. Yeah. yeah, uh, Alfred. I said Butler, but yes. So that's, that's kind of cool. Um, now I'm going to dive into the, the classic history of the toy maker. Right. Cause I just want to interject and say, Mm -hmm. listen, I, 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 by no stretch of the imagination is a doctor who person, right? But I know a Dalek. I know a Cyberman. I know a weeping uh, angel, right? Right. I ain't never heard nobody speak about no toy man. And they <laughs> acted this thing they acted in this episode. Not only is he the most important villain of them all, but he's also the most powerful villain of them all. And I ask you, Todd, and you're about to answer, how come I never heard of him before today? Okay, so his first serial was in 1966. I think it was in the last year of William Hartnell's run. And Michael Gow played him. And now I don't like how this is all like speculation and some of it's fact. You know what I mean? Like uh, I do believe they pro- they wanted Michael Gow back but couldn't get him. And maybe it, I don't this I don't know anything, but like you own some of your characters over there when you create them in uh, Britain, like you know how they can't use the first couple episodes on Tubi for Doctor Who uh, because they won't give them the rights and stuff like that. I don't know if that was held up, but he was supposed to come back, but they couldn't match up Michael Gow's uh, what would you call it uh, schedule. So he he never did, but he was super powerful. The TARDIS went outside the universe, and they found him, and he could control absolutely everything. And the Doctor ended up playing a game and won with this character, and he was never brought back. That I want to say is also this is the one of the most problematic classic storylines ever. One for lesser reasons, because they call him the celestial toy maker. And everybody's like, this is a against Asians. It's it's, it's racist. Right. But they never meant that he was Chinese. He didn't put on the like, let's call it yellow face. You know what I mean? That they, they say that sometimes. And they didn't give him like the thing with the eyes and the Fu Manchu. He was just Michael Gao. But he was in kind of like that celestial uh gown kind of thing but they okay. kind of established he was from space that's why he was celestial do you know what i mean which I, I, I could see the chinese outfit mixing it up but they never kind of went into like m- making fun of asians or stereotypes with it so i'm like all right i could see a little bit of both but that didn't bother me but the most problematic thing about the classic episode was he creates this creature that you know a king of something that's that's wandering around and he has to make a decision so he does eeny, meeny, miny, mo, 
And he goes like, eeny, meeny, and he mumbles some of the words, and he says some of these, so he's doing the rhyme. Joe, he says the word. Not Tiger. Oh, boy. He says it in 66. Woof! Right? And it was... Um, Maybe maybe, maybe I didn't like this episode, Todd. Go ahead. Right, but that was an extra. That wasn't like any of the main cast kind of a deal. And they said it's like he was like they were. They I don't know if like they told him to do, do a little bit of it, but their answer was it was a different time. You know what I mean? And this was an accepted rhyme. And f- from here on out, they've taken it out of all. You know what I mean? Yes. Like let's get rid of that right out of the way. So I just thought you would find that that was the one time Doctor Who was ever ever problematic. Um, but yeah, so I don't know why he never came back, but it works for the story. <laughs> I was going to say, everybody, everybody gets one, but Doctor Who decided to go big. You're right, oh. go big or go home. Um, oh what? I said, oh my god. Right? So, um, Did we just so, cancel Doctor Who, Todd? I think we did. I think right. we did. Um, so they end up reuniting the Doctor and Don after they get separated, and they end up seeing the toy maker putting on a puppet show, giving Donna the the history up uh, up until uh, what's happened between the she left and she came back. And I like the bit because it always annoyed me where he's like, "Well, you know, Amy showed up, and then she died, and he cuts the strings. She got touched by the weeping angel, but the doctor was like, "Yeah, but she went back in time, and I could never see her again. So she died of old age. And he's like, oh, then it's okay then. And then he says, Clara, he's like, was killed by a bird. And he's like, but she ended up flying off in a TARDIS and she's alive for like she's like she can't die. He's like, oh, then it's OK. And then they do Billy Potts. He's like, she died. He's like, yes, but her consciousness wasn't uploaded into this thing. He's like, so it's OK. And he's saying, like, these all died because of the doctor. But we kind of find ways around it. Um, and I just thought that was interesting. And he mentions the flux. And that would happen kind of bit go into it. So they end up talking. He's like, enough of this. He's so like, I, I, I just want to interrupt there. Um, the mm-hmm. part that you're talking about there where the toy maker is going through this, he's slipping in and out of his accents mm-hmm. uh, throughout the show. And it's intentional, of course. Um, and the part that Todd's mentioning where uh, through the puppets, the marionettes, he explains, here's what happened to this companion. The doctor's like, well, no, this is why they're okay. And then when the toy maker, Neil Patrick Harris says, well, I guess that's all right then. Mm-hmm. I watch everything with subtitles because it helps me and old man focus on things. Right. When he says, well, that's all right then, I guess, or whatever mm-hmm. the exact quote is. Right. They specifically put in the subtitles, exaggerated American accent. Right. Right. Which is um, what he had. You know what I mean? Which is what he had. But at no other point do they say exaggerated German accent or any of the other exaggerated accents that he has. I definitely think that that was probably something in the script. Um, and a lot of times they'll do the subtitles off the script itself. They'll just, you know, however they scan these sort of things. I don't know how science and technology work. And that it was in the script that it was specifically supposed to be an exaggerated over the top American accent. Kind of like how there was the bit how um, earlier in the show there was the people who were anti ZX mm-hmm. that it was specifically in there for a reason, right? Um, but yeah, and I think yeah, it was definitely in there, and it was to show people who couldn't like hear what was going on too that he's making fun of 
You know what I mean? That everybody was okay. It's just a pat way to get around killing a character, you know? Um, so he ends up sitting down and the doctor challenges him to a game. And as, you know, he's like, okay, like, you know, a game. And he's playing with the cards. And Neil Patrick Harris is doing this great monologue where he ends up telling him he's like, um, you know, when I found this universe and they're basically saying it was because he spilled salt at the, like he brought out, uh, what would you call it? Uh, mythology at the edge of the universe. It was kind of where the area was thin. Maybe that's why he got loose. And he's like, as soon as I got here and I kind of like, I'm going to read a little bit. He's like, I defeated God and turned him into Jack's Jack in the box. I made a jigsaw out of your history. How did you like that? You know what I mean? Kind of a deal, which I like now that that doctor before William Hartnell is all because maybe the, the toy maker did something. He's like, and I even, you know, battled with the master as they were dying. And uh, when they lost, I sealed him inside a gold tooth when he lost his own game. And the smile is fantastic. And don't you mention the Rob at this point, Joe. Todd, as soon as they do that close up of the toy maker, with the master trapped in the gold tooth and they do the close up of the mouth. I have it in my notes. Toy maker has Leafield teeth. Question mark. Stop it. <laughs> it was I fantastic. It. I loved it. Right. But the one thing that he does say, he goes, the one person I would not face was the one who waits. When I found him, I ran and the doctor's like, who's that? And he's like, that's a game for another day and not for me. And I'm like, okay, they're obviously setting up something uh, down the line. He's like, so what's the game? How about the oldest game? One of the oldest games there is cut for high card. They set the rules. Don is like, don't do it. He's a trickster. And he's like, I love that the toy maker actually takes offense. And he's like, and the doctor's like, no, he's like, that's the one thing we can count on is the toy maker is bound by the rules. And he's like, okay. Um, so, uh, we're going to cut high card. Uh, ace is high. Doctor gets an eight. Toy maker gets a king. He's like, I win. I, I have Donald looks horrified. And he's like, yes, you won this game. And I won the game as William Hartnell back in 66. So we're each one-on-one. So that means a rubber match, Joe. That's the oldest, one of the oldest rules in the book, you know, two out of three. And I'm, I find that funny. And the toy maker says, how about two out of 2023? giving him the clue that he's going back and the whole building starts imploding one of my favorite bits in all of it is he yells donna and donna goes i'm already running i'm already running because he tells everybody to run so much i pop the place ends up folding into uh, a box and they take it to uh to 2023 um he meets you know uh mel mel and, and and the unit commander kate and everything uh and I like that Kate's putting together a unit from old companions and even offers Donna a job for like 50,000 pounds. And Donna negotiates it up to 100 and is like, good. So I have a job after all this. Um, Doc, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No. Okay. Go ahead. Explains to Kate that the toy maker's coming. We, ha- we have to blast the satellite with the thing so it'll stop the people fighting. They, they do that. But that's when the toy maker shows up in 2023, dancing to Spice Girls' Spice Up Your Life in one of the most fun dance routines slash horrific things I've ever seen. When he turns the guards into balls and the one's head is inside the ball and they're like, what happened? The doctor's like, they're dead. I'm so sorry. That is an amazing, fun, wonderful scene. 
so I'll, so I'll just throw this out here and say, you know, obviously at this point, we get the song and dance number. We get the stuff earlier, whether it be the card stuff, the shuffling stuff, the juggling stuff, the basic sleight of hand stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Patrick Harris is a, and again, I'm not in the magic world. I'm not a magician guy by any stretch of the imagination, right. but he's really big in that world. Like he has taught himself and trained with some of the best people and all that sort of stuff. So I definitely think he was pro- and again, I have no idea what the casting process is. I, I didn't look into when I look into these things, I don't know who's in these shows. So when Neil Patrick Harris shows up, it was a delightful surprise. I love Neil Patrick Harris. He's one of uh, America's national treasures. Um, I don't think he's been canceled. So hopefully don't cancel me for that. Um, but he was great in this. And I would assume that like we have this character and we want him to be able to do all of these things. And I'm sure Neil Patrick Harris, he's got like that. He's got a nerdy streak in him. I'm sure that he was sought out for this role or this was something that he was actively like, this was maybe structured with him in mind to play this character. Right. Or he begged for it. One or the other, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So that's fine. But I love, you know and just to get back to Michael Gow a little bit, he's completely different from Michael Gow. Michael Gow was very like, like stone faced, but I don't care. This is like Miss Mixoplick, you know what I mean? Mixopitalic meets the toy maker, and I'm like fantastic. So uh, the they find that the toy maker disappears. He's out on the big cannon outside. Um, they go outside, and he basically tells him, he's like, listen, why why are you doing this? You can do anything in the world. You can, you, you have unlimited power, but why do you do it? He's like, well, I love these these play things. As a matter of fact, I made everybody write so they can go on typing and canceling, and the game goes on and on and on, which I thought was another, you know, uh, take on things, which was nice. And he goes, but why don't you come with me? I'll take you out into the universe, and, you know, you don't have to kill anybody anymore. We'll play endless games. And you see it like Neil Patrick Harris, like, maybe. And then he's like, No. He's like, all right, well, then let's on to the rubber match. And he's like, all right, yep. He goes, but, and he shoots the doctor. And he says, you know, the first match was with the first doctor. The second match was you. The next one has to be with the next doctor. So Tenet's going to go, and he's going to regenerate, and he's going to die. And he says, Alon Z, tear, single tear rolls down my cheek as I weep into my Doctor Who comforter. And he does it. He splits into two and now he's the new doctor in his risky business attire um and they had a new uh instead of regeneration they had a by generation so he's two doctors and i'm like okay they challenge him to catch a ball game and that's a fun bit where they have to catch the first one to drop it loses and when the two doctors get ahead of themselves and the new one tries to throw it past the doctor. And he's like, Hey, we're on our side from the same side. They beat Neil Patrick Harris. He drops the ball. Um, and he ends up folding, you know, into like the bit and they put him in the, the trunk, but he says, my people are going to come. And he ends up, you know, uh, uh, winning the game. And they're like, okay, this is over. Now the doctor can retire with Donna as a family He's going to miss the TARDIS, but they end up making two TARDISes because there's a little residual toy maker uh, magic. So they use a hammer to make two TARDISes. He gets to stay with it. Um, the new doctor goes off in his TARDIS, but his TARDIS is slightly different because it has a jukebox. 
and we kind of get the ending that the reason the doctor had the old face of Tenet was because that he was tired and he wanted to ha- live his life and retire. So he lives with his family, with the old companion, and the new doctor gets to go off free of all the doctor's baggage. He even says, he's like, you lived that life and had that trauma, so I can be free of it. So we're going to get a non-moody doctor Well, this doctor gets to relax but somehow still has TARDIS Avengers, so we can have a spinoff at some point? I don't know. Um, I'm not big on the bi-regeneration. I say, you do your stint, you have your tearful goodbye. Tenet got three chances to do it. Uh, It's like, I I don't know, but in the end, give me more Doctor Who, so I'm going to live with it. Yeah, and again, so I don't know no Doctor Who lore, you know? Obviously, they say in here that this is the first time that they ever did a bi-regeneration. Bi-generation, yes. And they said they thought it was a myth with the Time Lords, you know? So. Right. Um, so, okay. you want? I mean, I'm sure they have a plan. Um, I, I don't know. Is Tenant like, of this new run of Doctors, is he the most popular one? Um. Personality-wise, yes. Like, ratings one, no, because it was constantly going up. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But he's probably the most fondly remembered of the new the new ones like because people got on board more and more as that you know they were still good i don't know if you, you get what i'm trying to say you know what i mean so matt smith had more ratings but i think david Tennant is more fondly remembered than any of them gotcha um so maybe and again you know I'm, i don't know if there's some sort of deal behind the scenes or a contract there, there thing is, this is what i know happened and this okay. is definite this is you would speculation when ten, when Russell T. Davies, that's the showrunner who started in 2006 or whatever with Eccleston, came back, uh, he offered, he's like, listen, I have all these ideas. And he ended up doing a Torchwood spinoff. But he said, I want to give you a shared universe. And BBC said, we don't want a shared universe. We, we like Doctor Who. There's one Doctor at a time. You go, like, we don't want all these, like, maybe specials and stuff like that. And they did, because um, he did a Sarah Jane spinoff, and that were a couple, like, couple seasons, and he did this. But it didn't get out of control. And when he left and the show, like, dipped in ratings, uh, and the new guy, the, the female doctor showrunner, like, kind of mucked it up with ratings, they brought, they offered him a truckload of money, and they said, Hey, that Marvel Cinematic Universe, that this shared universe, that shared universe, do you still have that idea? And he's like, yeah, we can do that. So I believe it's, that's why they're going to drive a dump truck load of money up to any old companions, any like people who are still around who aren't canceled. And they're going to be like, units going to be run by uh, uh, companions. And we're going to have the 15th Doctor running around, or the 14th Doctor, uh, Shuti Gatwa is his name, doing your thing. We can still have Tenet. Hey, any of you guys want to show up? We could find uh, any of you old Doctors. We could find a way to shoehorn you in. Here's money. Yeah. You know I mean? So we're going to do as much Doctor on Disney Plus with Disney's money. Do as much as you can. So I got I got really out there with uh, intensity there for a second, Joe. Well, listen, this is the thing that you care about. This is you know your whatever you know. This is your <laughs> Doctor Who is your professional wrestling. It might be yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, obviously there's a plan in place. So I got no problem with it. Um. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sort of emotional attachment to like it has to be this way. 
Um, I thought the episode, like I said, was really good. And if this is their way of, you know, doing multiple doctors at once, I'll hear them out. Yeah, I think the only thing I worry about is burnout. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to, like, just pile it on, the quality will diminish. Like, you have one of the best showrunners for Doctor Who ever. Don't wear him thin. Don't Jeff Johns him by giving him five projects. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they're yeah. all going to suffer. Give him these... You know, but BBC doesn't do that. They they run their shows like obviously we're going to have that Christmas special, which you were surprised I didn't know about. But I kept my head down. I thought it was 2024. We're going to have that. And then we're probably not going to have anything until fall of next year. Mm-hmm. So there's and there's nothing in between there. If they put it out in bits and pieces, I'm fine with it. Uh, right. But last thing that I'll say, the only real problem I have with the bi generation is there's always only one TARDIS. You can have multiple doctors. I don't like the idea of this. It'd be like making two Millennium Falcons, one for Ray, one for Chewbacca. Mm. I think it, it, it uh, when you have too many TARDISes, nobody has a TARDIS. <laughs> there you go. That's all I want to say. That's my one big flaw. Give me all the doctors, but they share the TARDIS. Okay. That's I don't I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. I say we get out of here before I go on another rant. Yep, it's a perfect way to uh end this uh episode 688 of Longbox Heroes. Uh thank you everyone for listening, for hanging in there. Uh for Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.